Yeah, that was the end of the screening of Horror of Dracula at the Hollywood Theater Tuesday night. I am so thrilled to have had the opportunity to see that movie on the big screen. And you know what? I thought it would be good to open up this episode of Monster Kid Radio from the parking lot outside the Hollywood Theater. Welcome to the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I am your host, writer, and producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to this podcast where we're going to talk about another classic monster. No, not Dracula. We are talking about Frankenstein Conquers the World with Tony Wendell from The Gigantic Project. He joined me to talk about this Toho Frankenstein movie. And it was a real treat. You know, I love monster movies of all stripes. You give me a Hammer movie at a movie theater that I can get myself to, I'm there. You put a Frankenstein in a giant monster movie, sign me up. I'm Monster Kid through and through. That's what I do. That's my true path as a fan. I ran into Scott Allen Woodard outside the movie, and, you know, we didn't really record too much. And you know why? As much as I love that the Hollywood Theater brings these movies in, I don't know where you guys and gals are, but this time of year, it is boiling hot in Portland, Oregon. I kid you not, it was 100 degrees plus this past weekend, and that's just not normal for this time of year, especially for a theater that I don't think really has their AC up and running just yet for the seasons. Huh, had to get out of there. I had to turn on the recorder, introduce this episode. Scott, if you're listening, I'd love to have you on the show down the line and talk a little bit more about what we were talking about on our way out of the theater, and that'd be Peter Cushing. But first, we're going to talk about Frankenstein Conquers the World with Tony Wendell. Now, before we get into that, I wanted to let you know that I received an email from Tony after he heard our conversation on Tuesday, talking about the background, the cast and crew, the ins and outs, and all of that about the film. I had asked him during our conversation if he knew whether or not Frankenstein Conquers the World was actually part of the Godzilla canon, the continuity set up by the Godzilla films of that particular era. Now, he said that he didn't think so. I didn't think so, so we moved on. But this is what he had to say. While re-listening to this podcast, I realized that in Godzilla against Mechagodzilla, they make reference to Mazer Cannons being first introduced fighting against the two creatures from War of the Gargantuas. Since War of the Gargantuas is a semi-sequel to Frankenstein Conquers the World, this Frankenstein is therefore part of the Godzilla canon. Thanks for clearing that up, Tony. You know what? I want to hear more from Tony. So why don't we go ahead and get into our breakdown of the movie Frankenstein Conquers the World. We're going to spoil it, and we'll do that right after this. <laughs> Godzilla, Mothra, and Rodan, 
for mastery of the world. Men quake before the terror of their unleashed fury. All new, all never to be forgotten. A new high in screen terror. Headed monster. From a world beyond our own come the forces of nature unleashed. Daikaiju Attack, the serialized giant monster story, presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and sdsullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. and meet his greatest foe, the Kong of Steel. A gargantuan duel, unmatched by any battle in history. Thundering 60-foot robot Kong of Steel, creation of the evil Doctor Who, criminal genius who stops at nothing. Kong, once again, dig! against the copter squadron. A thousand thrills as King Kong battles the serpent of Mondo Island. Not this Kong! Hits himself against the nation's armament. And plunges a beautiful girl into a world of terror. King Kong in a duel to the death. Just three years ago, the Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon, stood on the brink of closing down for good. With 35mm film going away, the only option for survival was to make the expensive conversion to digital projection. Now, while many theater owners saw only the expense, the team at the Joy saw the possibilities. They saw that the Joy needed passion and personality, and they believed that couples and families should be able to see a movie without spending a fortune. Today... 
The joy is a viable business once again and a vital part of life in the Tigard and podcasting community. But now, with a significant increase in rent looming, the team at The Joy is turning to the community to help pay off digital projection and opening costs once and for all. We all know that asking for contributions isn't easy. The Joy's owners have been paying down these costs since opening, but becoming debt-free is the one way The Joy is sure to stay in business for years to come. With this campaign and with your help, The Joy Cinema hopes to raise $50,000. The Joy Cinema and Pub in Tigard, Oregon is important to me, Derek M. Cook, because the man who runs the show there, Jeff Punk Rock Martin, loves the kinds of movies that I love. So much so that he's always bringing in classic and sometimes not so classic monster movies. Of all the theaters that I've gone to for a Monster Kid Radio crash, the Joy Cinema is the one that we've gone to the most. Jeff has asked me to introduce several films there in the past. Every time I go, even if I'm not getting up on stage and talking about the movie that we're about to watch, I always have a really good time. And I'm not just talking about watching the movie. I'm talking about the entire movie-going experience, up to and including chatting with Jeff before the film, or maybe even sneaking out to refill at the concession stand and talking to him a little bit more about whatever movie we're watching, whatever monster movie posters he has on the wall, whatever. Jeff's a good guy. The Joy Cinema's a great theater, and I want to see it succeed. The Indiegogo campaign ends next month. There are several amazing rewards available for contributing to the Indiegogo campaign, starting with a heartfelt thanks and ending with what they're calling the lifer a lifetime pass for free admission. Now, I know that people who listen to this podcast aren't necessarily in the Tigard, Oregon area. So you might be asking yourself, what's in it for you? Well, one, you get to help an amazing local business keep running and fighting the good fight and showing monster movies on a regular basis. And depending on what podcast you're listening to right now, 1951 Down Place is the Hammer Films podcast I co-produce with Casey Criswell and Scott Morris. The Joy Cinema has shown some Hammer Films during their Weird Wednesday series. If you're listening to this on the Mimiverse Monthly, well, the Joy Cinema has screened The Giant Spider. In fact, The Giant Spider had its Pacific Northwest premiere at The Joy, and I'm talking with Jeff about bringing in some other Christopher R. Mim movies in the future. The bottom line is this. The Joy Cinema, they're one of the good guys. They could use our help. You can learn about them at their website at thejoycinema.com or go to indiegogo.com and just do a search for Joy Cinema. considerably larger, about ten times the size of this gorilla's skull. Being instinctive rivals, there's no doubt that they will attempt to destroy one another. King Kong versus Godzilla, heading for their colossal collision. 
shattering every obstacle that stands between them in the most fantastic rampage of annihilation ever recorded on film. See King Kong stamp Tokyo into the ground, holding a beautiful girl in his grasp. See Godzilla destroy an entire army. See King Kong trapped by the blazing barrier of a billion volts. But nothing, nobody can stop the great showdown when King Kong and Godzilla meet to fight for survival of the fittest. This is Joel Hodson, the creator of Mystery Science Theater 3000. You're listening to Monster Kid Radio. Why don't you? Two all-color, all-action hits. Here are the seven wonders of the world rolled into one fantastic adventure. Frankenstein, born again to rule in terror. A monster unleashed to conquer all who stand in his destructive path. Frankenstein Conquers the World stars Nick Adams as the American scientist versus Frankenstein incarnate with the strength of a thousand men, a phenomenon such as never seen before. See Frankenstein Conquers the World astounding on the giant screen, also on the same program. Tarzan, man of the jungle, with only a lion, a leopard, and a chimp as his army, can they conquer the hired killers of the dealer in death? Cy Weintraub presents... Tarzan and the Valley of Gold with Mike Henry and Nancy Kovac in Panavision and Color from American International Pictures. So the movie itself comes out in 1965. We got a couple of uh, new kaiju. We got Frankenstein. You want to talk a little bit about the movie itself, the story? Well, like we said, Nazis have found Frankenstein still beating heart and they shoot it to their allies in Japan who just happened to research it in a a university or laboratory. Which one would you use? Some sort of lab... (laughs) <laughs> with one of the world's most overacting professors or, or doctors. Uh, it's very over-the-top, kind of mime-like, because there's no subtitles, there's no dubbing. I watched the international version most recently, so I didn't see anything there. But yeah, they're investigating it, and then the end of the war comes about. From there, well, from there is in Time Jump, 15 years later, and they find a boy running around who's been devouring small animals, and they just happen to get the attention of... Our two main characters, Nick Adams, was playing Dr. James Bowen, and his assistant, Siyoko Togami, who is Kumi Muzuno. Assistant, partner, I don't really know the actual working relationship between the two, because he seems to respect her quite a bit. There's not a talking down to her, which I thought was refreshing, kind of nice to see. Which really makes you wonder, is that Nick Adams acting, treating her with respect, or is that the way it was written? Right. And then, of course, you start talking about whether or not he had the relationship with her. Uh-huh. And, you know, it brings a different level. And I just like their partnership. They're pairing on screen. I love that they're cooking for each other. It's just, it was nice. I liked that. Now, Nick Adams, Dr. Bowen, is studying the effects on radiation or of radiation on people. He, at one point, has a, a mini monologue about how he is hoping to encourage this world of peace. He doesn't want to see anybody get hurt anymore. Radiation is bad. I feel bad about what happened. And there's this, they call him a waif in the subtitled edition. I can't remember if they call him a waif for a homeless boy or what in the dubbed edition, but this waif of a kid is running around. And like you said, he gets the attention 
of Dr. Bowen and Dr. Tagami. And uh, they bring him into the lab and start to research him. And they don't really say how he grows. I mean, they don't really timestamp enough to know how he's growing so fast. I mean, they obviously say that giving him more protein and more animals has allowed him to uh, get bigger. But they don't really say how long it is because it took him 15 years for the heart to regenerate into... How old would you say the kid looks when they bring him in? Maybe 12? Yeah, he looks like a preteen. Over the course of an, un, like I said, un amount of time, he grows into not only just man size, but then, you know, kaiju size. Right. The time in this whole film seems a little off. It seems a little fluid. Because we don't get a lot of time stamps, like you said. We don't know how much time has passed. You don't even really know for sure, I don't think, how – well, maybe they do say how long – how much time passes between the end of the war and this film. But there's a lot of fluidity with the times. So you don't know how much time passes. And they don't talk too much about why he's growing. Like you said, you, you kind of go from shot to shot, and he's a little bit bigger in this scene. And now they've got to put him in bigger chains in this scene. If maybe it's just because, you know, instead of actually hunting for stray dogs and rabbits, the constant food supply, it's just allowing him to grow three meals a day situation. Look at us applying logic to a giant monster movie. It's why we do it. <laughs> this is true. I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Mm-mm. <laughs> So I mentioned the chains. They end up having to chain him up because he does have a few violent outbursts here and there. When they bring in some photographers with the flashes, it sets him off. When he hears somebody screaming, even if it's the middle of a, a like a song or a dance show on the television, he loses control. So he is a little dangerous. More, well, it's more of a callback to his American counterpart in the fact that things could easily startle Frankenstein in many incarnations. True. suppose it wouldn't be Frankenstein's monster if he wasn't easily startled. I don't know if Frankenstein's monster would have grabbed a TV and threw it out of a multi-story window, but uh, that's what this Frankenstein does. They do eventually have to chain him up and put him in a in a cage you know, for everybody's safety and security. And Dr. Tagami, Kumi, doesn't have any fear, or at least she doesn't let it show. She feels that Frankenstein's monster will not attack her, and, and she's right. She feels like she's stepping up to the plate, and if Frankenstein needs to calm down, she just shows up. And I liked that as well. It was a nice representation of a female character in a 1960s monster movie. When did we actually technically grow out of the Scream Queen typecasting? Or did, when did it really start to step back a bit in terms of the American side of things? Because, you know, F.A. Ray made the Scream Queen what it is. You know, that stereotype and casting just stayed for so many years. It really did. By the time this was this would be released, uh, that this would be the you know she would be expected to scream at the top of her lungs, and if she was filmed on the American side, I would agree with you on that. I mean, the first time she sees the Frankenstein monster, she doesn't scream, she doesn't recoil, she throws food down to him. And it's it's nice. It's a nice, refreshing change of pace for this kind of a monster movie. So I agree. I know people still use the Scream Queen label to describe women in monster movies. I know there are a lot of actresses in low-budget movies using that title. And that's fine. I think maybe it's kind of evolved and morphed a little bit to mean something else. But you're absolutely right with the King Kong model, the Fay Ray model. It seems a little passive, and it seems a little helpless. So it was nice to not see that here. I don't know if that was a cultural thing or what, but I really enjoyed it. And I liked her performance and, and her confidence as a scientist. She never felt like she didn't belong in a lab coat. Nope, she's she's there. She knows exactly what she's doing, and she wants to be an effective part of the team. 
Yep. And she is. I mean, she helps out, even though Nick Adams at one point says he's got to go back to the States. She may have some emotion about that, but, you know, it's science. You do your job. You do what you got to do. So I do enjoy that quite a bit. Now, of course, we wouldn't have a rampaging monster movie if Frankenstein didn't get out of the cage at some point. Well, in fairness, you know, the higher-ups are suggesting that they uh, start chopping off some limbs to double to check his regeneration factor. I'd, I'd want to get out of there pretty quick myself. Yeah. <laughs> that seems so cold and matter-of-fact. And I know he's a monster quote-unquote, but I felt bad for the guy. Like, well, we just want to chop off his hand and see what happens. Well, later on, we have to chop off his finger, you know, if we just have that. Like, really? No. Isn't there a couple other tests we can go to before we start sawing some things off? <laughs> Clip his fingernails. Take that. Do something. <laughs> There's some blood work, right? Does that blood work back from the lab yet? I mean, seriously. <laughs> There's something we can do. So I felt bad for him, even though he's covered in some makeup that doesn't disguise the fact that he's not Caucasian. I felt like he acted sympathetically, and he really kind of pulled up my heartstrings a little bit. So, you know, fear it not wanting to uh, lose a limb, he breaks out and just disappears into the wilderness, but not before saying a nice little goodbye to Kumi's character on the balcony of the apartment. It's kind of sweet. Again, I liked the connection that she brings to the film. I just really enjoyed that. It was a nice, touching moment in the monster movie. He says goodbye to her and then goes back off into the wild, the wilderness, starts sustaining himself again. Now, we mentioned earlier that Toho did some amazing, amazing miniature work. There are a few sketchy moments in this. There's a wild boar and a horse that don't look as good as they possibly, or they probably could. But, you know, we're not watching a, a movie about a boar or a horse. So, uh, But he does encounter a boar. In fact, we see him trying to build a trap, which I thought was very interesting because earlier in the film, he seems to not have a lot of grasp on his, I mean, for lack of a better term, humanity. He doesn't seem to be anything more than just a wild animal. And they kind of bring him into humanity a little bit, kind of awaken whatever part of his brain can function and reason and even communicate a little bit. He builds a trap to try to catch a wild boar to eat. It's a good time to tap into your knowledge, uh, Derek, with Frankenstein, the character in general, when would you say the heart could be taken in terms of different uh, Frankenstein movies, you know, finding the remains? Which movie could you, I mean, you could be easily the first one. I mean, you know, if you say, go off the idea that, oh, they found it in the burning wreckage of the mill or, but which which Frankenstein movie's ending really puts it as saying, that's probably where they took the heart and was found by the Nazis. Man, you know, trying to connect it to the other films and trying to figure out when that would have happened in any kind of chronology, that's a tough call. I don't know about the Universal films. Because, I mean, at the end of the Universal cycle, he's here in the States, I think. I don't think the Nazis would have gotten it that way. Hmm. It might be an easier connector to some of the Hammer films, but again... That's tough. Do you have any thoughts on that? Mm, no, like I said, I'm a little, I'm more rustier on the American uh, monsters, so I was trying to pick your brain on it. Yeah, at the end of the Frankenstein cycle, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. He's here in the states, and he does get set on fire and then walk into a, a water, body of water. I don't know. Now, I know that a previous guest mentioned this incredible timeline that a gentleman by the name of Chuck Lorden has put together that links pretty much every – it's fan 
fiction, a piece of fan work linking pretty much every monster movie <laughs> to every other one. Studio be damned. I mean, it connects everything. So I'm going to go back and look at that and see if he had any thoughts about where this particular Frankenstein came from. I actually am going to have Chuck on the show down the line, so when I do, I'll ask him. Send me a link. That sounds like a great read. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of work. I think he just recently, either he or Frank Children or just recently posted it in our Facebook group, but I'll double-check it. I'll send you the link. But yeah, I, I don't know where he would have gotten the, the heart, when the heart would have been taken. I remember there was, uh, I've heard of another, uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I know in one of the movies, doesn't uh, the, the assistant puts their brain into Frankenstein's body. But then it rejects it, and of course, you know, the brain has regrown from the heart, so how much DNA memory is, you know, which DNA memories are they tapping into? The criminal mind of the original, the criminal mind of the original, the brilliant, the near-brilliant mind of the assistant, which Frankenstein's brain are they tapping, would help him that he could forage and set traps for the boar? That's true, yeah. At some point in the Universal films, the original brain does get swapped out for Igor's brain. So, you know, and Igor is a bad guy. But, yeah, I wonder if you could find a way to connect it. I mean, not that you're going to enjoy this movie any less not knowing where the heart came from. It's just an interesting, I mean, it's, a fun, it's what we monster kids do, right? We try to connect pieces here and there and make it all make sense in one giant monster tapestry. It's part of the fun, right? I'd like to think that the reason why Godzilla was having the steam breath instead of the full-on blue flame in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster, is because of the fact that he's having an internal change of heart, thinking, should I protect the humans like Mothra and King Kong do? Even though he is uh, destroying the place, it's the internal conflict that's causing his flame to not be the powerful blast that it usually is. Yeah, I like that. And now I don't think I'm going to be able to watch the movie without thinking that. But again, that just kind of adds an extra level of enjoyment that we monster kids thrive on. So I really had to do that because the first, the steam breath effect actually is what turned me off to Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monsters, the original viewing. It was only oh, after really? a second viewing that I was like, you know, this really is good. You know, I'm just like, wait, if, what if I say, what if that, oh, wait, what if I put this theory in place? Then the whole thing feel is just that much more enjoyable for me. Huh. The re- a rewatch really saved that film for me. Well, I guess I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it myself now. Darn. <laughs> oh, yes, darn. Oh, we found a way to talk ourselves into doing a rewatch. Oh, dang it all. There are so many movies out there to watch. Not enough time. Too many movies. I know what you're talking about because uh, I've finally been working on this year. I told myself, you know what you got to do? You got to do what you've been telling yourself for years. And finally watch the missing episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that you've been wanting to get around to for so long. Wow. I have crossed the first hurdle. I have watched every episode with Joel in it. But there's so many more with Mike, so... <laughs> I know, I know. There's the other two hurdles. I still gotta get through, I gotta get through the their years on Comedy Central, and then just the years that they were on the Sci-Fi Channel. They've pretty much all been released on DVD in one form or the other, haven't they? Yeah. At least they're available, unlike Frankenstein Conquers the World. At least you can get your hands on them, right? I don't know if it's through YouTube or they just YouTube as linked to the actual one, but they are streaming a couple through Shout Factory, their releaser. I've heard that. Now, you know, Scott and Tracy Morris have been on the show quite a bit, and they're huge Mystery Science Theater fans from, from the original run, and uh, they're always sending me you know, DVDs or Blu-rays of the MST3K material. So I know I've got quite a few here, but sitting down to watch all of them, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you. <laughs> 
Uh, getting back to Frankenstein Conquers the World, can we talk about Baragon a little bit more? Because I've got the movie playing here on my Kindle while we're talking. I don't. I have the sound off, but every once in a while I look down, it's like, oh, there's Baragon. I love that his eyes move, and I love that he eats chicken. I'm a vegetarian, so whatever, but Baragon, he's an animal. He can eat chicken. That's fine. And I love that after he sees the chicken, the next shot is him walking away, and there's feathers falling out of his mouth. It's adorable. <laughs> Really wish they could just, you know, five minutes, uh, some voiceover, some remnants of, uh, well, he probably wouldn't have been an egg or anything, but, you know, just <laughs> some, you know, some kind of uh, hint of where he came from it would have just cemented this as a more, uh, probably, you know, getting it uh, in the higher ranges of the Toho fandom mm-hmm. in terms of movies. I mean, people love it for Baragon, but that's about it. You know, Frankenstein gets so uh, pushed to the side just because people love the design of the Baragon suit. It's Mm -hmm. a shame, really. I love that his eyes are able to move back and forth. And, I mean, it's a very expressive monster costume. But, yeah, a little bit more background about where he came from would be nice. To me, though, the movie is Frankenstein's movie. It's almost as if he becomes the hero towards the end of the movie when he and Baragon start fighting on the island. And I love the photography or not island, I'm sorry, out by them in the mountains. And I love the photography out here. You've got these lush, bright, vibrant greens. You've got Frankenstein walking through it. You've got the humans. You've got the military. I just love the way it looks. The cinematography is gorgeous. Yeah, there's a great contrast, especially since uh, Baragon and Frankenstein are in such drab colors and all that green effect they put in there. It's also probably because of the fact that, uh, you know, in terms of scale size, both Baragon and Frankenstein are just weighing in. At, they're still on the more shorter side of kaiju, so they're, they're just barely peeking their heads out of the trees. So they're able to really surround themselves in the green foliage. And it's just, like you said, it's a nice uh, cinematography effect. It looks great. It's gorgeous. And the Media Blasters release is just vibrant and crisp and looks really good and if you can get your hands on it i highly recommend it is it 60 dollars worth of good maybe i don't know i mean if, if you have that kind of disposable income i'd go for it because it looks great it looks really good the cinematographer on this was a gentleman by the name of ajimi koizumi if i pronounced that right but uh it looks wonderful it's it's really good and again you know the cinematographer had something to do with that uh, the director honda had something to do with that but i think we'd be remiss if especially as we're both blossoming Ultraman fans, if we didn't give credit to the special effects director, Mr. A.G. Subaraya himself. Subaraya is another one of the masters. Uh, another person who, if you are not familiar with his work, you are doing yourself a disservice. A friend of mine bought me the uh, book that was released in America last year, A.G. Subaraya, Master of Monsters. I just have to find the time to sit down and read it. The uh, August Ragoni book, it is gorgeous i've read it but i've spent more time looking at the pictures than anything else because it is just packed full of so many incredible stills that i've never seen before reading this book that's a wonderful wonderful (laughs) resource to have and subaraya no subaraya no monster movie from japan as far as i'm concerned this man's work is mind-blowing and impactful and iconic and important I mean, you want to talk about uh, being there since the beginning. He did the special effects for the original Godzilla. Mm -hmm. He was with the franchise for a good part of its early years. He was there through, well, I don't know when he stopped working for Toho and all that. His last movie was Technic. Oh, really? Uh Uh-oh. His last non-Ultraman movie was Godzilla's Revenge. 
Well, he did. Do, he did Ultraman. He did Ultraman. He 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 brought it back with Ultraman. The mo- <laughs> Ultraman's movie, actually. <laughs> Ultraman writes so many wrongs. Is that what we're saying? That's the only way to do it. Yeah, that's true. I, I really do need to do an Ultraman show. I'll have you back on for some Ultraman talk down the line. How's that? That sounds good. All right. Yeah, that's, that's so fun. I love me some Ultraman. But yeah, Subaraya, uh, getting back to him, he's been from there from the beginning. He did so much work for Toho. He created Ultraman for Subaraya Productions. Uh, I don't know what else needs to be said about him other than if you don't know him, you got to get to know his work. You've got to. But yeah, he was responsible for the design of Baragon, and I'm assuming he also worked on the Frankenstein monster itself, which isn't a suited actor. There's a headpiece and, and some makeup, but that's about it, isn't it? Pretty much, uh, and the you know the raggedy clothes. Yeah, I don't call that a loincloth. What would you call that? Battle toga, really? <laughs> the battle toga. I like it. That's what we'll go with. <laughs> He's got the battle toga and just going to town fighting Baragon in the in the mountains trying to save his uh, buddies who have come to investigate, really trying to hope to clear his name because they keep having rep- hearing reports of destruction and you know everyone's saying, it's Frankenstein, Frankenstein's killing all these people in villages. And Nick Adams and his assistants are like, no, no, it's not him. He just wants some food, but he wouldn't do this much damage. And they just happen to see it is Baragon and then... Luckily, Frankenstein's in the area and is there to bail them out. In a pretty destructive way, but, you know, it's what giant monsters do. Whatever gets the job done. There you go. There you know. No judging here, Frankenstein. <laughs> I do like the fight at the end. It does feel like a tacked-on kind of moment and element. Baragon being something they got to throw in to sell it to the kids. I don't know, but I do like the final confrontation. I actually think I like this final fight more than a lot of the skirmishes in King Kong versus Godzilla? Yeah. Sadly, they do have the same style of yeah. uh, ending wherein, you know, the Earth itself can't sustain them fighting. So instead of rolling into the ocean, this time they're just, you know, the ground gives way and both of them are buried underneath in that ending. Do we, do we want to get into the alternate ending yet? Sure, let's talk about that a little bit, because there are a couple of different endings. Uh, Like I said, I watched the international version most recently. I watched a dubbed version of it uh, before that, about a month or so ago. Is the international version, because I I only saw the one where they are sucked in the ground, is the international version the one that's got the octopus? Yeah, there's an octopus. Okay, now, does the octopus take down Baragon 2, or is Baragon killed? So Frankenstein actually does Baragon in. So so Frankenstein throws him off a mountain, basically killing him there. But around him, the forest is on fire and everything's going to hell. So, Well, actually, it kind of makes more sense other than just being buried under the earth. I mean, Baragon's whole deal is that he's a burrower, you know? I mean, right. getting underneath a little bit of dirt, just like, probably wake up from that, it's like, mm. oh, that was weird. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Looks up. Yeah, in the international version, after uh, Frankenstein throws Baragon down, then the giant octopus shows up. <laughs> Which is just random. Even more random than Baragon himself. Yeah, it just seems to come out of nowhere. I mean, it looks good. It's cool to see. But the octopus itself sets up for another film, the air quotes sequel to the film, War of the Gargantua. That one I haven't seen in a long, well, since I first started this journey. I think I've seen it once, and that's it. Yeah, And that is, they use like Frankenstein cells to build, to recreate 
these monsters or create these monsters to begin with. Yeah, the weird thing is, Kumi Mizuno is in again, but they renamed her. That's right. Yeah, she's now uh, female assistant Akimi, where they had the baby, one of the baby gargantulas, and she personally raised it. So it's a sequel, but not a sequel. The only connection is the monsters themselves. They recast the characters, even though she's playing the same character, essentially, of female assistant. And I guess then they have to rewrite the fact that she helped to raise it. Right. Again, timeline, again, timeline stamping. Yeah, <laughs> true. Uh, funny thing about War of the Gargantua, it was my Jaws. Really? Well, I, I say that not in the whole Jaws as in... Uh, polarizing movie i say it as in uh the movie that made me afraid of the water <laughs> well you see uh i actually grew up on a lake so every time it was summer i was right out there swimming to my heart's content and then one afternoon i see a double feature of rodan and war of the gargantuas first i see rodan where as the Myers are going out to find their missing buddies the meganulon grabs the guys and drag them under and uh-huh. I saw my first drowning death in cinema. It was like, oh, crap. And then I finished that movie, start War of the Gargantua, still feel a little bit iffy. And then there's this intense scene in War of the Gargantua as they're fishing where they find the evil Gargantua, who apparently loves to swim in the water, is like caught in their nets. The fishermen look down and there's this beet red bloodthirsty eyes looking back at them and it's just like i will never go swimming again <laughs> oh no i want to go back and rewatch that one again darn i just found a two-pack at a fye for your entertainment 10 bucks rodan and war of the gargantua see i love me some rodan but yeah that'd be fun to watch as a double feature right on yeah i watched it originally as a double feature i want to watch it again this time with some japanese subtitles and Maybe this time I won't be so scared to uh, jump into a lake afterwards. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> or maybe I do hope that you are scared because it means the movie's still that effective. Uh, with War of the Gargantua, Dick Adams didn't come back. It was Russ Tamblin playing the uh, token American this time around. Again, yeah. wasted opportunity, man. I know, right? Oh, well. As far as Frankenstein Conquers the World goes, Frankenstein versus Baragon, I really enjoy the movie. I think it's a lot of fun. I think I like the international version a little bit better just because I prefer reading subtitles versus dubbed, even though it's a little difficult to know that Nick Adams' dialogue was dubbed and then subtitled. It just kind of goes back and forth, back and forth between English, Japanese, and English again. And it's clearly not his voice. So, <laughs> Yeah, I actually, I think I see, I, I remember seeing it as uh, subtitles. So if I did a rewatch, I'd probably have to check out the dubbing to see how well they did. Yeah, the version that I saw that was hosted by the horror host Morgus is a dubbed version, but I, I don't imagine that a horror hosted program would show it subtitled just because, I mean, it's still good. It doesn't look as crisp, though. I think the international version does uh, subject matter justice with how lush and green and, and gorgeous the cinematography is. It is something that I enjoyed. I am going to go back and rewatch it. I like that an American monster made its way over into a giant monster movie over in Japan. I say American monster, even though Frankenstein technically was not. <laughs> the, well, the novel wasn't American, but the film was American. And that's what people associate him with more. I do like that the headpiece, they never go flat out, flat top with it, but it's still boxy enough to kind of sort of throw back to the Karloff style monster. So I do like that quite a bit. And now this originally began life 
as a like a King Kong versus Frankenstein type story, didn't it? I believe so. Toho itself has experience with Kong in a couple different mm-hmm. variations. I don't know what happened exactly. It's just like they made King Kong versus Godzilla, and then they made King Kong Escapes, where he fought his robotic duplicate, and then ever since it's been like impossible for them to reobtain the rights. Yeah, and I know there's been some stories regarding did Toho really have the rights to do Kong in the first place, and now Turner's involved, so there's nobody who's going to get their hands on Kong unless Ted Turner signs off on it. So the, I, funny thing, yeah. the funny thing is, is that with the 30th anniversary film, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah, they actually wanted Kong back. Yeah. The first idea was to have him fight King Kong, and the second idea was to have him fight Mechacong, and when both got shot down, they basically merged the ideas and had Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, wherein later in the movie, they fought, he fights Mecha King Ghidorah. Yeah, I think there's always room for Kong in the Toho film. I'm a big fan of uh, King Kong Escapes. I'm a big fan of that film, and I think there's always room for more Kong over there. So, I know it'll never happen now, but it would be – I wouldn't mind some more. I believe the Mecha – doesn't the Mechacong actually predate mm-hmm. Mecha Godzilla even? So Mechanicong was first. But yeah, no, I love me some good Mechanic Kong. I love Rhodes Raisin and King Kong's Escapes. And again, he's the token American in that film. As far as Frankenstein Conquers the World, it's something that I would recommend. If you've not seen it and we haven't spoiled it too much, I think people need to see it. Do you have any other comments or thoughts about the film you wanted to go over? I think we covered everything pretty much. You know, It's good, but I'm not going to give it the glowing review you did. I'd say this would probably be like the fourth or fifth string movie you'd want to give a blossoming kaiju fan. Oh, really. Yeah. You'd, I'd say about give them at least your like all-time favorite, two safe films, and then you could slowly uh, slip them Frankenstein Conquers the World. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, what I do like about it is that it's a standalone. You don't have to know too much about Godzilla getting into it. And really, you don't need to know too much about Frankenstein either. I mean, Frankenstein's in the pop culture. I think that's probably all people need to know going into the film. Uh, if you are trying to get somebody hooked on kaiju films, no, I don't think this is the way to go. But if you are a fan already of these kinds of movies and you haven't checked it out or given it a shot in a while, I do recommend checking it out again. If you were to have some favorite kaiju films, though, that you want to draw people in with, I'd probably start with the Godzilla films. Indeed. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you can't go wrong with Godzilla ever. Really? Well, okay, there's a couple misfires, but it's hard to go wrong with Godzilla. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I dig it. I think it's awesome that you wanted to talk about it here on the show. And thank you again for reaching out to me to you know, maybe be a guest on the show. I've loved chatting about this movie with you. We're definitely going to have to have you back on. I mentioned Ultraman. I think that would be fun to kind of dive into some Ultraman at some point down the line. And uh, knowing that you're a fan. I'm a moderate fan. of. If we're doing the original, though, I'm, just a mo- I'm more of a moderate fan. Like I said, it didn't win me over. It didn't become my favorite overall. But I do have I would have a lot of good talking points. If you had like someone else who's like a major fan, we could the three of us could do a good round table. Ooh. That'd probably be best. All right. Tell you what, that's the listeners, you heard it. At some point in the future, Monster Kid Radio, an Ultraman round table. Done. With me and Tony and somebody else. We'll find somebody. But that'll be a blast. That'll be a blast. Now, in the meantime, before you come back on the show, people can find you over at the Gigantic Project website, which is thegigantecproject.com. We mentioned that at the top. And it's Uh a place where you review kaiju films, mecha, diving into anime, that sort of thing. And I like that 
you give them ratings. That's not something that we do too much here on Monster Kid Radio. I don't really do technical reviews anymore uh, on podcasts at all. But this is a nice resource. And I tend to find myself agreeing more often than not when it comes to the kaiju films with you. You gave Godzilla vs. Megalon a rating of B, which I think is fantastic because it seems at all I love that film. So, Oh, yeah. I, it's just – I love – it's cheesing all over the place, but I love it because it does. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's no <laughs> airs about this movie. It knows exactly what it is, and it's just a lot of fun. So I agree with you more often than not, like I said. And I don't know a lot about anime, but whenever you start talking about the kaiju films, I'm on board. So people should check that out. And then you also have another website. AreYouKillingYourFandom.com, wherein I talk about – different uh, stories of uh, in geek culture that basically make the rest of the community look bad in the eyes of those who are uninformed of the culture or just in general sometimes make the human race look bad with the stupidity that they do. That can't be very hard. I'm backlogged right now. <laughs> i got to play catch up. I've got so many articles. Yeah, I've been going through it here and – I mean, you're talking about stuff that happened with swatting. You talked about Joss Whedon leaving Twitter not too long ago. There's some talk about Gamergate. There's a lot of embarrassing fan and geek things happening in the community that you shine a light on. So this is another one of the blogs that I follow, and I'll make sure there's links to this in the show notes as well. I appreciate it. Again, it's areyoukillingyourfandom.com. And when it comes to your fandom and, you know, just the, the regular American Monster fans, what I got to say is, just if I could give a good recommendation, is to all who are seasoned veterans of the American movies, just be nice or just be as tolerant as you can with the upcoming newbies. I mean, thanks to, you know, uh, Dracula Untold and <laughs> the Universal – do we have a name for it yet or just the Universal Monster – Avengers Project. Did we shorten that yet? Uh, I've been calling it Universal Unite, but... Oh, right, right, right. That's right. You called that Universal Unite. So, yeah. Those of the fans that are coming in with Universal Unite, yes, they'll be uh, very new to the genre and very wound up and just like, this is the greatest thing ever! Ah! Just like, just do your best not to dismiss them. They're the new fans that'll help our fandoms stay alive and have more entries into our beloved kaiju and regular monster movie libraries. Just calm them down, give them some good titles to go check out, and they'll be fine. <laughs> you know, we roll our eyes as longtime monster kids about the idea of remakes and that sort of thing, but Tony's right. Let's not get too annoying hipster about the whole thing. This is an opportunity for us to show some people some of the really good films and maybe make our ranks get even bigger and grow, you know? So even if you don't like the movie itself, the Dracula Reborn was not, I don't know. What were your thoughts on that? I, I still actually have to see it myself, uh, but okay. I, I, I'm... Was it Reborn, Return, I don't know, Begins? Untold. I think Untold, I was, that's it. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it's not the best movie in the world, but if it brings just one person to the Bela Lugosi film, then it's done its job. Mm-hmm. It's done a job for us anyway. So right on. Well, Tony, again, thank you for taking the time this morning to talk about Frankenstein Conquers the World. Uh, people do need to check out your website. Like I said, there will be a link in the show notes, and we'll have you back on down the line for some Ultraman. I look forward to it. Thanks again, Tony. No problem. Buried within the uncharted depths of waters surrounding a group of islands off the 50th parallel lies man's most formidable challenge. The awesome awakening of prehistoric monsters long thought extinct. Science was baffled and powerless. 
The terror-stricken humanity knew that it was on the brink of total destruction. The once proud civilization now had to place its trust and hope in Godzilla and his powerful ally, Robot Man. They would fight this evil in a duel to the death. Battling by day, battling by night. It was more than a race against time. This war was an all-out effort whose ultimate purpose was to save our planet from total destruction. Now came the moment of truth. The ultimate battle. Once again, big thanks to Tony for joining Monster Kid Radio to talk about a kaiju film, Frankenstein Conquers the World. You know, it doesn't get referenced a lot in the greater Godzilla canon, but I still really enjoyed the movie. I love Nick Adams in a genre film, specifically Nick Adams. Man, I wish we had more of him in our monster movies. Unfortunately, we only have a few, and I feel like this is one of the gems. Again, Thank you, Tony. Remember, he can be found at his two websites, thegiganticproject.com and areyoukillingyourfandom.com. If you head over to livingdeadcon.com, you're going to learn all about the Living Dead Horror Convention happening here in Portland, Oregon, November 13th through the 15th at the Oregon Convention Center. This is a big deal. Portland does not have its own horror-specific convention. Yeah, some horror stuff creeps in to things like the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Howlcon, or even the Comic Cons that happen around here. But this is a specific horror convention for Portland and the Pacific Northwest. Well, and anybody who can really get out here. I mean, it doesn't happen until November. You can start hitchhiking now and you'll get here by then. Speaking of hitchhikers, did you know the guy who played the hitchhiker in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre is going to be at the convention? Now, Monster Kid Radio focuses on the classics and Barbara Steele has been announced as one of the guests. Now, she's not the only one. I have the inside scoop. I know there are some other people that they're working on getting here. But for now, Barbara Steele is the classic monster movie connection for fans of Monster Kid Radio for me. And really, Barbara Steele's more than enough, right? With a career that covers hundreds of films, so many in the horror genre. I've got to meet her. I can't wait to run into Barbara Steele at the convention and maybe talk to her about the movie Black Sunday. Since Dracula stalked the earth, has the world known so terrifying a day or night? It is I who renounce you, and in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Black Sunday is like no motion picture you've ever seen. who believe and those who do not but both must know the suspense the shock of meeting the living dead and of bringing the dead to life 
from my eyes. Embrace me. You will die. But I can bring you pleasures mortals cannot know. Black Sunday. The most terrifying motion picture you'll ever see. Satan, wearing strange robes and fighting with all the furies of Hades, arouses the countryside to a frenzy of black terror. You've seen Black Sunday, right? If you haven't, you need to. It's a classic. It's Mario Bava. It's Barbara Steele. And it's one of her first horror, if not the first horror movie that she did. Now, she would go on to do many others. And we'll talk about those as we ramp up to November and the Living Dead Horror Convention. Again, it's November 13th through the 15th at the Oregon Convention Center. Tickets are incredibly affordable. Find out about it at livingdeadcon.com or follow the link in the show notes at monsterkidradio.net. That brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us for our 214th episode. And again, thanks to Tony for bringing Frankenstein Conquers the World to the Monster Kid Radio table. We will be having him back on. We're talking about War of the Gargantuas, and I meant it. We really do need to do an Ultraman roundtable. I've got that third person we were talking about in mind. I just got to reach out to him, and we will talk Ultraman here on the show in the future. Speaking of the future, next week on Monster Kid Radio, we are going to be joined by another newcomer to the show, although he's been listening to the show for a while. I'm talking about Michael Leggy, the man behind the horror host, Dr. Drek. He's going to swing by. We're going to talk about his background as a horror host, and then we're also going to talk about some Poverty Row horror movies. That's a section of classic horror that he's a big fan of, so I can't wait to share that conversation with everybody here on Monster Kid Radio. Next week, come back to that at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. Here you're going to find our contact information. Our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-4795-MKR. Also over here, you can subscribe to the Monster Alley Checkpoint, which is our monthly e-newsletter, and get yourself some Monster Kid Radio goodness in your email box once a month. Exclusive content, including my Creature Connection column and classic monster movie horror trivia. We also have a link to our Patreon store where you can become a patron of Monster Kid Radio and help support the show. That way your support is greatly appreciated, so much so that I've got some reward levels set up to give you a little something back for helping support MKR. We also have a link to our Facebook group where you can connect with other listeners of Monster Kid Radio between episodes or even while you listen. I suppose you can do maybe like a live listen a lot. I don't know. Go to Facebook, join the group, get involved with conversations with other Monster Kid Radio listeners, as well as previous guests. I know a lot of people who have been on MKR are part of the group. So if you want to check in with them, well, that's how you do it. Also, probably by the weekend... I'll have a new monthly poll set up in the Facebook group. This is a Facebook exclusive feature, so stay tuned for that. Also, within the next week or so, I'll be putting up a new YouTube video featuring something that I got in the mail that I'm very proud of. And I've got a few other things in the works as well, so stay tuned in to MonsterKidRadio.net on Facebook, iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere you listen to or connect with MKR, I'll be there. Thanks for listening, everybody. That gets us to the end of the episode. So remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Talk to everybody 
next week. Bye.